What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Two guests this week. If you love baseball, this is a podcast for you. First up, Fox Sports broadcaster Joe Davis, of course the lead television voice of the World Series, one of the television voices of the Dodgers. But he is here to talk about calling the World Baseball Classic. He called six games, including the finals, and including one of the most, I think fair to say, iconic moments now in baseball history, which is Shohei Otani striking out. Mike Trout to end that game and give Japan the victory. Um, just an unbelievable event and such a thrilling moment. Uh, Joe talks about being there. Uh, we play the call for him and what he thought of the call. Also play the call of uh, the end of Japan-Mexico, uh, which was a great call by him. And we just get into you know the significance of that event, how he prepped for it, calling it, what we think it might uh, head to in the future. And so uh, I appreciate Joe Davis giving me a little bit of time after, uh, shortly after calling this event. He is followed by my colleague at The Athletic, Britt Giroli. She's a senior writer who covers MLB. She wrote an excellent piece on the World Baseball Classic and what can make it better in 2026. And we get into why this was a success for MLB, um, what they might be thinking about heading forward in terms of any kind of tweaks. We get into where it should be played in the schedule as opposed to where it will be played, which looks like it'll be played once again in the same spot before uh, the year. And then we get a little, have a little bit of fun about uh, Shohei Otani and what franchises, what teams might be best for him. There's only going to be a couple probably that could afford the $500 million, and uh, that's going to be one of the more fascinating stories in sports over the next couple months. So Joe Davis to start, Britt Giroli to finish, coming up on the Sports Media Podcast. All right, as I said at the top, uh, very excited to have this guest, uh, incredibly relevant, and he is fresh off a major assignment. Fox Sports broadcaster Joe Davis has been on this podcast before. He's, of course, the lead television voice of the World Series, also one of the television voices of the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's here today to talk about the World Baseball Classic. He called six games of that incredible event, including the semifinals and, of course, the the final, uh, and we will get into the last out of that event because it will be something that's played for the next 50, 100 years. And I'm pleased to be joined by uh, Joe Davis of Fox Sports. Joe, welcome. Hey, Richard. How you doing, man? I'm good. All right, Joe, you're, you you sound very refreshed for a guy who's uh, <laughs> who just called two pretty monumental games. Man, I guess I've had a few hours here to recover, but th- that was incredible. I, now, going into the tournament, Richard, it was like, okay, this, is, this will be a cool thing. But truthfully, it was a little bit like Okay, well, I got opening day and the real season to get ready for this. It kind of felt like something that was in the way, honestly, to get ready for the regular season. It was going to be cool. I knew that. But uh, 
it exceeded expectations by so much. I mean, it, it really was, and especially the way it finished in the championship game, one of the most special things I've been a part of. So this is, you know, this is where I want to start. The, I don't sort of even know how to sort of phrase this. The idea of having Otani facing Trout <laughs> for the final at-bat of this event is like literally something out of a video game. It's like MLB The Show come to life. And of course, you know, Joe, a lot of young people ingest this game now through things like video games or social media. So we have this unbelievable scripted moment and you have to call the game as you did and you have to call the moment. But is there any part of you that's calling this that at least sort of can like is self-aware of like, I cannot believe what I am about to call as Trout goes up to bat against Otani. Absolutely. Because it, it, as you started to hear that there was a chance Otani was going to pitch in relief, like in the days leading up to the championship game, if Japan gets there, you could see him. Then it's like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he faced Trout? Not only if he pitched, but like if there's if he somehow faced Trout. You fantasize like that. I don't know if the conversation for anybody went any beyond that where not only did he pitch, not only did he face Trout, he faced Trout with two outs in the ninth inning in a one-run game. The count went full before it finished the way that we all know that it finished. So it really was, yeah, a video game or a movie, uh, you know, a movie that doesn't rate very well because people say that it's unrealistic. Like it, it was, It's just absolutely incredible. And, yeah, I am thinking all those things as we get into the moment, like, Wow. I mean, we we talk about how cool this would be if it happened. It actually is. And with all this context around it, incredible. All right, Patrick, let's play for Joe Davis the moment of Shohei Otani striking out Mike Trout. Trout's ready. 3-2. He struck him out. Otani strikes out Trout. And Japan's back on top of the baseball world. All right, Joe, you hear that. Uh, what goes through your mind? You happy with that call? I'm okay with it. Uh, I think that like rarely in a championship call or to finish off a big game do I think it's necessary to give you the actual, um, you know, like X's and O's play-by-play of it. So where I say Otani strikes out Trout, that's not something I would normally do. So if you look back like at the World Series final out, I don't say Kyle Tucker makes the catch. I say whatever I say about the Astros winning the World Series because I think that it, you know, like what the what it is in the scorebook is usually irrelevant compared to the bigger picture. But th- that for me needed to be in there. It needed to be Otani strikes out Trout because as much as it was Japan winning the World Baseball Classic, it was clearly that moment that made for TV, made for a movie moment. So I'm happy that I got that in. Um, I don't know. It's okay. I'm pretty hard on myself. I think a lot of us are, Richard. So I'm just very happy to have been there and had a chance to call it. And uh, I guess I'm glad I didn't screw it up, but I don't know. I'd give it a B. It's interesting that you, how you describe that, because uh, I remember talking to Vern Lundquist once uh, about calling golf, and he referenced this guy, Frank Cherkanian, who's a very famous uh, sports producer, produced all these masters and everything else. And Vern Lundquist, very on in his master's call, uh, had a 
a, a, um, a call where he literally repeated what you saw on television. And Turkanian got on the talk back and like went off on him, was wow. cursing left and right, saying, never describe what you can, what the viewers are already yep. seeing on television. So it's very interesting that you sort of said that because Lundquist said he remembered that lesson for the rest of his life when it came to golf was like, you know, not say Nicholas, you know, three footer yeah. in the hole. Yeah. Right. Which is interesting. That's yeah. And I, I totally agree with that. And especially I think in the championship clinching moments, but what you saw and the names with what you were seeing, I just felt like, you know, w- when it's our job to kind of capture these moments, you had to have those names. You had to have that result as part of the call. If I could nitpick it more, it would be, I don't know how exactly I would incorporate it or what I would get rid of, but I said a little bit after that, classic in every sense. And I mm. wish that I had said that earlier. So that would be part of that call, you know, so maybe it's Otani strikes out trout classic in every sense. Japan wins the world baseball classic or something along those lines. I, I wish I would have incorporated that earlier. Well, first of all, I agree with you that I think you had to say their names. So I think that was the right instinct. And I appreciate just as a viewer, you laid out for a long time, just you let the crowd tell the story, which, uh, which is always appreciated. Yeah. I think from, from viewers who care about that. When did you, um, when did you learn? Fox acquired this thing about, I think, a little over a year before the actual event. When did you learn you'd be you'd be calling games? I want to say we were. I was with Smoltzy somewhere, so it was on a Saturday. I had to have been Richard before the postseason, right? It was, would have been before October that we found out. I, th- I think. I think that's correct. Yeah. So okay. So I, I don't remember exactly where we were, but I remember that we were together. And it was, uh, you know, oh, that's that's cool. Like, I would imagine we'll probably be on it, but didn't hear a ton about it after that. And really until this winter when um, the planning started to go into it. The, uh, you know, you, you're obviously um, preparing for the regular season to call games on Fox. You're certainly preparing when it comes to being prepared for the Dodgers. How did you go about preparing for the six games of this uh WBC that you would call? There's some crossover, thankfully, especially obviously with Team USA, where all those guys are guys that I'm going to be preparing for in the major league season. Where it's interesting is the teams like Japan or like Colombia or, geez, Great Britain, who have guys that we've never heard of in a lot of cases. MLB Network's research people do these amazing packets where they do deep dives into each country in the tournament and their history in baseball. Um, I don't know if you heard in, in roughly the sixth or seventh inning of the championship game, I talked about the background of baseball between right. Japan and the U S and some of that was inspired, or at least the research was started by some nuggets that I got from the MLB network notes. And they spread those out to all the people that call these games. So uh huge shout out to those guys. I don't know where I would have been trying to find information on a lot of these guys. And especially the ones, you know, you can find uh minor league guys. There's typically stuff written about, but when we're talking about dudes from great Britain that may or may not still play pro baseball or players from Japan who might play professionally over there, but good luck finding something written in English about them that you can really take in and, and produce into you know, content on the air. These guys dug up a bunch of stuff that made us sound like we knew what we were talking about in a pretty short period of time. 
I remember having talked to uh, Ian Dark and some other very high-level um, soccer game callers. And one of the things, especially preparing for like the World Cup or the Euros, that was vital to them was obviously getting pronunciations yeah. of some of these countries where they don't see the players all the time in the Premier League, etc. Uh, sometimes they would even go to the point where they'd call like an embassy oh, wow. in that country to try to get the pronunciation. For you... You know, at least let's say when it comes to Japan, yeah. uh, you know, that's a pretty tricky ask, I think, of a broadcaster who does not call Japanese League baseball on a daily basis. So for, were there any teams or particular, I would imagine, the Japanese team yeah. where you, you had to pron- you had to practice pronunciations prior to calling the game? Yep, that, that would be the one. Because I think that we have enough Latin players in Major League Baseball where you kind of know right. how those names work. But Team Japan, yeah, looking up and down that roster is like, okay, you're going to have to spend a little time on this. I called who I think is probably the best person I possibly could have called for this, Steven Nelson, who is half Japanese and who called Japan's group stage. I called him. So this guy, I mean, you listen to him call Japan's group stage, and it sounds like he's been saying these names his entire life. So I, I got on the phone with him a couple hours before first pitch. I wanted it to be fresh, our conversation. And I'm pretty maniacal when it comes about writing stuff down phonetically. So I, you know, thanks to Stephen, I was able to get all those names down phonetically and um, got into the game. And as Smoltz said, as, as we got into, uh, as we knew Japan was going to be in our semi, he said, good luck with those names. I got, I'm just following your lead. I'm going to let you say them. Uh, and, and thanks <laughs> to Stephen, I was able to. All right, let's go to um, calling the semifinal between Japan and Mexico. That was a phenomenal finish, and I thought you totally nailed the call. All right, Patrick, let's let's play for Joe the finish between Japan and Mexico semifinal World Baseball Classic. At all. He can get a huge lead. Cracked in the air, deep center field, Thomas on the move, it's off the wall, Otani's in to score, here comes the winning run, Japan turns it around on its last breath. All right, Joe, I hope you heard that. Uh, that must have been a great moment, just to, yeah. just to witness, be part of it, to call yeah, and apologies for my uh, one-year-old in the background here doing a call of his own. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> we uh, love natural sound on this podcast. Yeah, so yeah it's, it's real. That was It happened so fast, Richard, that ninth inning did, where Japan had trailed the whole game, and they go into the ninth, and yeah, they have Otani leading off, but you know, you're getting ready to kind of set the story like here's Otani and here's a chance for this big thing to happen, and then bang, first pitch of the inning, he doubles. Uh, I think it was a walk that followed that. The pinch runner that they put in for him winds up being like the fastest dude in the universe. And actually, we we asked uh, the the Japanese manager the next day, is he the fastest runner in Japan? And he said he may not be the fastest straight-ahead guy, but nobody in Japan runs the bases like this pinch runner. And, and the thing that stood out to me as this play was happening was, my goodness, Otani's one of the fastest players in Major League Baseball, and this pinch runner was right on his heels coming around third. Um, and, and, you know, you put all that together, how fast it happened with how fast that winning run ran, 
And the fact that they hadn't led the entire game, it was just, it was a, a special moment that, you know, preceded the most special one in the championship game. And then the other part of it was the whole game was such an amazing environment because of the Mexican fans that were there. Uh, Team Mexico brought just a, a great contingent of fans and uh, the the vibe in there. So I think so selfishly, like we wanted Japan Team USA for the championship just because that's the most compelling matchup. The better environment would have been Mexico Team USA because uh, the fans of Team Mexico were awesome. Yeah, and that's obviously uh, if you've ever watched those two teams or those two countries playing soccer. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's an incredible atmosphere, uh, whether that's at Azteco or somewhere in the U.S. Right. Um, you, you, we have seen since the conclusion of the Classic, or maybe this happened the sort of the day of the final, uh, Major League Baseball obviously is going to do this again. It seems fairly clear that the time that it's going to happen will be the same before the season starts. Do you, as someone who's immersed in baseball, do you have any thoughts as to the best time for this, whether it's before before the season, middle of the season as an in-season tournament, or after the World Series? Yeah, no, there's been a lot of different ideas thrown around. I'll say this first of all. I just can't imagine a better tournament than we just had. And I know you can poke holes in some of the things and, you know, pitchers aren't completely built up or, or whatever. And I just, how can you mess with what was so perfect? Um that said, I think it could be a a thing where what if you played the group stage at this time and then you took a week off around the all-star break and you played what we just had in Miami, the knockout round. So, you know, the quarters, the semis and the championship, or if that's too much, you, you take the top four teams and have them convene during the all-star break. I don't know if that would mean every three years you don't have an all-star game. Um, or what, but I think that's an idea that you could play around with where you, you knock out the, the group play at this time and then have this made for TV event midsummer where you're going to have the eyes of sports because there's nothing else going on around then uh, that you could really take advantage of. Yeah, it's such. I would love to see it in season. I think that would be incredible. Yeah. But there, you know, obviously, players' associations got to sign off. There's a lot that would go into that, but man, that would just be. That would be an unbelievable in-season addition. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. All right, a couple more um, here. The This is uh, Shohei Otani's free agency year, Joe. So, you know, we don't know where he'll end up. A lot of baseball writers are sort of speculating that he would move on, he potentially move on from the Angels. You know, there's always sort of this thought about um, wanting stars in the biggest cities. And I'm sure that I have some kind of bias in some way. I mean, I grew up, um, uh, I, you know, I grew up around New York and then lived in New York City for, for, for 20 years. So I, you know, I'm probably, probably big city biased in some ways, especially when it comes to baseball. And I think like, man, like I imagine Otani as a Met or a Yankee and sort of what that would B, obviously the Dodgers are a big market team. The Padres have now become at least a wealthy big market kind of play. Um, 
You think there's a, like, do you buy that? That like the someone like Otani really baseball would really benefit from Otani in a big city as opposed to a smaller market where he obviously will still put up these amazing numbers because he's a once in a lifetime player. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think, and I, you know what I think is good, Richard, is that I don't know that there are too many teams outside of those teams you mentioned that can are going to be able to afford him. So I just think that the price is going to dictate that he winds up in a big market, whether that is New York or that is with the Dodgers. And I know you mentioned the Padres being a big spending team now. Five hundred million is a lot of money if it winds up getting there. And they've committed a lot of money already. So San Diego would be a surprise if he wound up there. But yeah, I I agree with the experts out there who say Mets and Yankees and Dodgers should be the front runners in the whole thing. And I agree completely with you that it could take what feels like you know a, a great time for baseball between the World Baseball Classic and I think the rule changes are going to lead to a a much better brand of baseball, much more enjoyable watch. If you take those things and combine them with Otani in the right place, I think you could be looking at a baseball golden era that we're going into here. Oh, man. Could you imagine if you get to call this guy, Joe, for the Dodgers? Oof. My Lord. Yeah. Not uh, be upset having to having to see him uh, 162 times a year. All right. I, I have be, Being that I have you, I have to ask you about this because you're going to be impacted by this. The Athletic has done a number of stories now on the rules changes. Mm-hmm. And in particular, uh, some of my colleagues have done – I've talked to broadcasters in their local market about how they think the rules changes will impact them. I've been on a couple of conference calls with some national uh, producers uh, who do baseball, et cetera. And they've all said that the cadence of broadcasts are going to speed up. Graphics are going to speed up. Where once upon a time, a Joe Davis or a Carl Ravitch might have uh, you know, 20 seconds, 15 seconds to say something. Maybe that's now eight. Maybe that's now five. Have you, um, I'm sure you've thought about this. I don't know how how much it's impacted you yet, but the reality is, right, your broadcast is going to change because of these rules. Yeah, and what what I'll say, Richard, is this. I can count on one hand how many times in my decade doing this I've wished that I had more time to talk. It is is 99.999% of the time we wish that the game moved at a better clip. Not because we want to go to bed earlier or because we want to be anywhere else other than the park. It's just our best broadcasts and what feels like the most enjoyable game always comes when the pitchers are working quickly. And when you look at the other rule changes, it's a whole lot more fun to call a ball in play than it is strikeout after strikeout. So I I really do think that, yeah, it's going to be different and it may be challenging for a week or two to get used to some of the intricacies that come with the rules and and to really master those. And I I will admit that I I have a little bit of anxiety about that. Like, is everything going to just be obvious to me? You know, all the, all the nuances to this right at first, maybe not might have to live it a little bit, but I think once we all settle into that, it is not at all going to be uh, a challenge. It it certainly is not going to be a bad thing. We, We rarely want or need, unless we're Vin Scully and we're not, none of us are, we don't need more time. Joe, uh, you're still, in terms of uh, sort of the chronology of your career, a very young baseball broadcaster, but one who has already called the World Series. Where does that, uh, I mean, let's even just take the at-bat. Where does that at-bat, uh, the Otani Trout 
at bat. Where does that rank for you among all-time moments? Yeah, I don't know that I've given it enough thought to tell you that I, I can answer that right away. I, I think I'll say this. The World Series stands alone for me, but that at-bat, specific at-bat, might be the next thing. And it's just it's just one of the coolest things I've ever witnessed. And even if I wasn't calling it to be there, and you almost wish that you could press pause on the moment and just sit there and really have a chance to soak in what it was we're looking at. Because I think we all know that it was Shohei Otani on the mound. We knew that it was Mike Trout in the box and the game was on the line. But to really, really be able to sit there and reflect on the greatness that we're watching on the same field going head to head in that moment. I wish I had a, uh, a rewind button to get me back there and a pause button to really be able to soak it in. So it's, it's definitely you, high on the list. Are you going to keep the score, score your scorebook on that? I definitely did. Yeah. I'm actually looking at it right now. I, uh, and I rarely do on a national game or like the other WBC games. I just kind of toss the score sheet. I use the one that the press box prints out. Um, but I, yeah, I kept that one. And mostly for that moment right there, I'm looking right now at the K and the ninth inning on Mike Trout's line. And to think that what that represents, you know, one of, and I, I mean, I don't want to be, I don't want to be using hyperbole here, but it has to be one of the coolest moments in baseball history. Doesn't it? Oh, easily. Yeah. That to me would be, you know, I don't know how big a memorabilia person you are. I'm not particularly one myself, but that that might be one to frame. You know, that's yeah. just a very cool, that score, that score book is just a cool, like little artifact of baseball history. Um, and obviously a cool artifact of your life. So that would be, uh, that would be a very cool thing to just have, uh, uh, and not buried somewhere in an attic or, or a basement. I get them both to sign it. You do that. And, um, if I might be so bold to say, uh, Joe, that might be one where you place, uh, if those are, if that's autograph, maybe security that one up because that would be a very valuable <laughs> keepsake. But yes, I think you should definitely try to get them. If they sign it, that's, that's a, that's a different equation. I didn't know if you were going to give me a good website to go to after that. To, you get it. If, if you get it signed, Joe, have you ever heard of eBay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah pay for your kids college well, education. I was just going to say that that one year old that's uh, that's talking in the background. Congrats on college! Yeah, right. <laughs> right. I, I just might try to do it. I mean, actually, Dodgers and Angels uh, playing the Freeway Series starting on Sunday. I'm not doing those games. It was going to plan on going just to uh, hang out and be around. And uh, I would I would do it. It's a one of the other thing too is like when it comes to Marinbilly, it's a one of one. Right. Right. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not. Here's like 25 like uh, pieces of a bat. Like literally, there's only one scorebook from the person who called this nationally that's yeah. yours yeah it's, so, Rock, that's a free one Rock would ask richard is to trout hey can you sign this score sheet of you striking out to yeah that is yeah that's that's where you call on the favor if you know somebody on yeah. the team yeah. and preseason is always better than regular yeah, season totally. yeah all right last one for me is just an nfl uh related question when um you know we're i'm talking to you obviously uh near the end of march when do you start thinking about the nfl like you start thinking about next year now or like this is an August kind of thing? Yeah, I'm probably somewhere in between. I'm nowhere close to thinking about it right now, just given that we just got through the WBC. We're a week away from opening day and first Fox game next weekend. So mind is all on getting the baseball season started. And that first month is usually a grind learning all the teams and prepping for the teams that I'll see for the first time. I'd say I think we'll have our Fox football seminar in early July 
and definitely then but i think when the schedule comes out which is what that's that's not too long from now so sometime yeah. now in july uh start to think about what that schedule may look like in the first few weeks and and start to get excited about it fox sports broadcaster joe davis is of course the lead television voice of the world series as well as the uh television voice of the los angeles dodgers but um He's just coming off calling, again, one of the really remarkable global events that we've seen in in uh, in some time, the semis and the finals of the World Baseball Classic. And again, as we've gone over on this one, um, Shohei Otani uh, striking out Mike Trout. It just it reminded me of like why I fell in love with the Olympics, global, best on best. And that's, uh, mm-hmm. that's what that moment was. Listen, Joey, I really appreciate it. I know uh, I'm talking only, you know, feels like a a uh, couple hours after the game, it's it's a, it's a couple days. But uh, but thanks for coming on the uh, sports media podcast and um, continued success heading forward. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Sounds great, Richard. Always enjoy our talks. Thanks for having me. All right, as I said at the top, very pleased to bring in one of my talented colleagues at the Athletic, Britt Giroli. She is a senior writer who covers MLB. Uh, follow her work. On Twitter, if you subscribe to The Athletic, check out her work. She's been covering baseball at a very, very high level for a long time. Her latest piece, The World Baseball Classic, was a success in 2023. What will make it better in 2026 is right up my alley, because there are certainly a lot of media components to that, and that is why I wanted to bring Britt Giroli on the Sports Media Podcast. Britt, welcome back. Thanks for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. What a uh, crazy few days in the baseball world. I know. Very exciting. Um, an amazing tournament. So you covered, you were there, you covered the semifinals and the final, which is just, uh, is awesome. It like this tournament, in my opinion, could not go better in terms of, uh, the drama of the games, the intensity of the games, the storylines, uh, it really played well on television. So here's where I want to start. Like having, both of us have written about sports for a long time, and both of us have seen when a sport has this moment, like whether it's an amazing World Cup, right, or it's an amazing um, NBA Finals or something like that. There's always a thought like, okay, this is a moment in time for this sport. This is a line of demarcation. It's going gonna, it's gonna to turn this sport into something more popular heading forward. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, from your perspective, though, do you think there is a carryover – from this World Baseball Classic into sort of a larger popularity play for Major League Baseball? I think so, Richard, because, you know, I was talking to WBC President Jim Small about this, and they're banking on a carryover, not only because I think everyone saw the viewership numbers, um, you know, and the merchandise sales and, you know, everything that is, you know, up 100% or even more. Uh, But I think if you zero in, on a couple of the important numbers, you zero in on you know how many more people in Mexico and Puerto Rico and countries outside of the U.S. are watching this, are taking this in. That is a bigger deal to them. Um, mm. This is the number one sport in the U.S. This is the number one sport in Japan. But also, they think that this is going to have a carryover, not just for international baseball, but for MLB during the season, and not just this season, but seasons to come. Now, Small kind of explained that Having a guy like Shohei Otani, who so many people have heard about, globally exposed. Now, people in Japan will be like, well, maybe I want to tune in and watch him, right? Maybe before they kind of had heard about him, weren't that 
weren't really super familiar with him. Obviously, he was the star of the championship game. He wins MVP. So maybe not even the people in Japan, but the people in Mexico are all of a sudden tuning into these games, wanting to watch Shohei Itani, wanting to watch some of these superstars that were on these teams. So MLB is banking on this, having some kind of carryover. Um, I think when this started in 06, they did it as a way to kind of do away with those all-star tours in Japan and things like that. But they are really hoping now that this is a tournament that is going to continue to grow, not just the global game, but also the MLB game as well. One of the things that um, I'm curious from your perspective on what you think, and you talk to more Major League Baseball officials than I do for sure, is in soccer, you know, there is a market for certainly the big leagues like the Premier League. But even like ESPN has found that like, you know, there's a market for Bundesliga. It's not going to be as big as Premier League. It's not certainly not going to be as big as basketball or baseball, et cetera. But for those diehard fans, like they want access to to those games. What does Major League Baseball think about like is the do they think there is a market for people to purchase games of the Japanese League or the Korean League in the States? Like it was fascinating. I know you remember this during COVID when like I think the the KB I think it's called the KBO right that was like the yes. only thing we could get for a couple of weeks which was really like it was awesome to watch like I loved it I don't know what the numbers were I don't remember but um like do when you talk to Major League Baseball officials like do they see any kind of parallels to soccer where the American networks have at least ingested some of these uh, some of these foreign soccer leagues into their programming yeah that's a great question I don't know if people would pay individually to watch. Japan and Korea because of the time difference and things like that. But I think watching that championship game and also watching the semifinal game, Richard, it was very clear that Japan has some really, really good players who are not in MLB. So I think, you know, if you're a a Sasaki is the the 20 year old pitcher who was throwing hundred miles an hour. um, He had 26 pitches in triple digits in the semifinal game against Mexico. So I think if you're a fan of MLB, you're watching these games and you're like, God, Japan's got some really, really good arms. And, you know, the U.S. didn't have their top starting pitchers, and that's obviously been a little bit of a subplot here. But I think if you're MLB, you're wondering internationally beyond Japan, how do you get those guys who don't come over to MLB um, to kind of grow the game for you, right? So I think what this does open up is that sense of pride. So maybe there is an avenue where, you know, there were so many Mexican baseball fans for the semifinal in Miami. I didn't know there were that many Mexican baseball fans. Maybe that is an avenue where people are wondering, how do I watch this team? How do I watch these players, these guys who aren't on big league rosters? So I think it's something that maybe we could see in the future. I don't think it's anything MLB is planning right now because they're so tied up with how Bali is going to really broadcast these games, right? I think they're so worried about like, how are people going to watch these regular season games? And they have staffed up, you know, the the MLB headquarters. They added a lot of media hires because they're prepared to do the production themselves. So I think it's, it's kind of farther down the list of to do, but it's a great question and something that, you know, now that you brought up, I am going to feel around on because I think it's kind of a, a missing piece and maybe a market that can, kind of help in the interim here because the challenge with the WBC is it's every three years. So how do you keep the momentum going for that tournament, right? How do you keep the interest high? And I think one of the reasons or one of the ways you do that is you get people more familiar with these players outside of the U S on a continuous basis. 
Yeah, any way I can get subscriptions or page views for you and me, Britt, I, I'm, I'm supporting. So I'm, I'm, I'm well on, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, so the interesting thing for me in terms of like thinking about this as a media property, I went back. Um, the announcement for this, um, like that Fox uh, had secured the rights to this tournament, was a year before, uh, maybe a year plus, I think, before the broadcast. Previously, before Fox aired it, and when I say Fox, I'm talking FS1, Fox Deportes, etc. This was an MLB Network play, league-owned uh, broadcast. MLB now sees that, and rightly so. Like, there's a market for this. We can sell the rights to this product and and make some money on it. So here's the big question, Britt, for 2026. I know Manfred came out with this, but to me, as someone who looks at this from a media play, if you did this in season you could turbocharge interest in this tournament. And I think the viewership numbers would go even higher than they went for this tournament. And for this tournament, they were fantastic. Uh, final game peaked at like 6 million. That's an incredible number for a, you know, a non-playoff baseball game. Um, how do you see it from your perspective as someone who covers the sport on a, on a daily basis? Like, is there any prospect of this becoming an in-season tournament? No, I asked Jim Small that, and I also asked Commissioner Rob Manfred that uh, when he met with a small group of the media before the championship game. Listen, Manfred said they have talked about timing until your head hurts, and Jim Small kind of identified the issue with having it in season is the guys who don't play in this tournament now don't play baseball for, what, two, three weeks? You can't really do that, right? You can't do this stop and start. The issue with having it after the season, as people have asked about, is pitchers have already pitched an entire season, and November is sort of that universal month that most pitchers, especially starting pitchers, shut it down. They start their stuff December 1 for the most part. So also the challenge would be in November, if you're not a playoff team, what do you been doing the month of October, right? So I, I think there is no good time for this. That is why, you know, they've kind of had it in the middle of spring training. Um, now the challenge becomes, you know, how do you get more guys to participate in it? Um, you know, the injury risk is always going to be a factor, but unless they cut down like two weeks worth of games, Richard, which I would be in favor of. Um, I think fans maybe would be in favor of, I don't know. Um, unless they decide universally to get rid of some of the regular season games, which I don't see teams kind of giving up. This is TV revenue. Um, this is attendance revenue as well. You know, concessions, parking, all that stuff. Um, there's really no other time to have this. And uh, the president of the WBC again, Jim Small said to me, you know, they think this is a win in March because people are talking about baseball in March as opposed to in May and June, you know, when the season really gets going. And, you know, if they do it in November, the competition is crazy. You're talking about two kinds of college football. You're talking about yes. hockey starting. You're talking about just, you know, there's just so much more competition than right now where it's really just March Madness. So they thought about that from a, a TV and commercial standpoint as well. You know, the market is kind of saturated. And as a sports fan, I agree, October, November, best months of the year if you're a sports fan. But it's a crowded market. Yeah, agree. November would not be a good decision. Like, I agree with Jim on that. Like, that's that would be a mistake on a media perspective, I do think in season though would be smart. I do understand the issues with it. Um, and I'm glad you, um, you sort of provided some context there. One of the things Britt that, um, you know, the reality of like today's sports consumer is a lot of younger people like have taken to certain sports via video games. Like this is just the reality, whether it's FIFA, whether it's, uh, MLB The Show, I think it's called, right? Um, yeah. 
the one thing about this tournament is that like you literally got a conclusion that was like playing a fantasy video game. Uh, Otani versus Trout uh, to either, you know, win the game for the U.S. or win the game for Japan. Um, to me, as great as this tournament was, if it doesn't have that ending, I think it does. The cat, as great as it was, I think part of the cachet and part of the fact that this story is continuing, you know, we're talking about this a couple days later. I think people will be talking about this tournament weeks, months, years later, is how it concluded. Do you agree that you just got this dream ending where if it was no offense to Kyle Schwarber, Otani striking out Kyle Schwarber is not the same thing? Yeah, I agree. And I also, I'll take it one step further, Richard. What if, and people complained, you know, the game was hard to find, it should have been on the main Fox. Well, what if the U.S. and Japan weren't in it? Right? What if yeah. it was Puerto Rico, Venezuela? Would we have these numbers? Would we have this excitement? No, Would we, we be talking no about this? Right. Yeah. So in a tournament that, you know, kind of models the FIFA World Cup in that you have that round robin play and then you get to, to knockout rounds, anything can happen. The U.S. almost lost to Venezuela. So I don't think you can really like I think the challenge for the next tournament, the elephant in the room for not just the next tournament, but the whole future of this thing is, can they ever beat what we just saw? I don't know if they can. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know if you can make these snap judgments of like, let's put this on Fox or let's throw more money at this because you're right. Like this was a straight out of the video game. Ridiculous. I still can't believe I saw the game with Otani versus Trout with a, in a one run game with the game on the line. Right. Like I, I don't know if you can ever see that again. And so I think, you know, this has obviously been a huge boon for MLB, but it's going to be very, very tough to follow this up. Yeah, that's well said. All right, a couple more topics I want to get to. You saw that uh, Apple, in fact, I think it was you who alerted the entire uh, staff of the athletic to this, so well done. Apple TV um, announces its schedule, and within that announcement, it says that games will no longer be free. You have to be a uh, an existing Apple TV subscriber. Like, I, you know, ultimately, if you create, if, if you have a, um, if you have a media deal with any entity, Brent, like, you know, they're allowed to sort of play it how they wish. I will get back to this, though. Major League Baseball makes it so hard to be a consumer of its product between the issues with RSNs and between things like um, parceling off games to an Apple TV, where you're then asking consumers to pay another fee on top of whatever fee they're already paying to watch these games. I get it. It's the reality of 2023, but um, man, you know, just even reading the comments section in the athletic off that, like very quick newser, (laughs) it's amazing that the sport has so many people who are so disgruntled with how the sport is presented to them. Yeah. And you know what? I went on a a show like a week ago, Richard, and I said, MLB would be so better off if they just had, especially now with the RSNs kind of in flux. They just had a package where you could buy the MLB TV for your team. That's it. You pay 50 bucks, 60 bucks, whatever it is. It is a standalone service. It doesn't matter if you have cable, you don't have cable. That's it. No blackouts. You watch your team, right? Um, If you want to pay the larger amount, like the one that I have, where you can see all the other teams, that's fine. But I, I think that should be it. That should be There should be one avenue where if you're a diehard fan of, you know, the Padres or the Mets, you should at least know if I pay for this one thing, I can watch these games rather than this piecemeal thing. We're like, okay, I have Apple. I can watch these 25 Apple games, but now I got to add this 
you know, direct TV so that I can make sure I get my RSN. Well, these games are blacked out now because tonight it's on, you know, it's exclusively on NBC or whatever. You're right. It, it is so difficult. Um, and I hear from people all the time that are like, listen, I'll pay just blackout free. Give me my team's whole schedule. And that's it because no other sport does it like this. And I know it's hard to compare it to football because football is national TV every week. Right. And all the teams right. just divvy it less, up. Right. Less, each piece in, of less, the pie. less inventory. Right. Right. Um, and so it's a totally different thing. But I would just love to see MLB kind of take control here and say, you know, we have this great product, which it is. It's a great the MLB game day is great. I watch all my games on it. It is expensive, but I can watch whatever game I want. Now, I would love for them to just remove the blackout and say, hey, if you're a Nationals fan, you can watch all these national games for this price. Right. And people that are casual fans can do the Apple thing and watch the one game a week. Right. I, exactly. I don't think that was really created for these diehard fans. And all you're doing is alienating these people that are 40, 50, 60 years old that don't want to get it on Apple TV. Right. Like my mom finally cut cable last year. She's 63. She just wants one thing to watch the Padres. Right. And it's very hard for people like that to be like, how do I watch the game? What's it on? This is how you lose people. And I think baseball doesn't realize that because they're getting a boatload of money from Apple and these other places to have these games. It should have been, a, I don't know if they can do this, Richard, like, could they have done the deal for less money and Apple not exclusively have those games? Could that have been possible? I think that would have been a better but, long-term situation. But Apple's not that, you know, the reality is if you deal with Apple or Amazon, like they're making that decision, not you, Rob Manfred, like they're going to decide how they want to put the games on and what they want to charge pricing wise for it so that to you know the the thing that mlb has done and it has been a financial boon for the owners is they have they have cut deals brit with so many different media partners and that is how you expand the pot you know whether it's um fox espn amazon warner brothers discovery apple etc right so the pot keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger but it's so consumer unfriendly because you are forcing me now as a consumer, if I am a diehard baseball fan, I got to buy every one of these packages. So Manfred, to me, made a decision. I guess this is what the owners hire him for, right? Is that we'll, we'll take the revenue and we'll take the money in exchange for maybe less growth of the game. And quite frankly, to make it harder for our fans to to watch it. Um, that's the equation they made. The NFL, I guess, doesn't – I shouldn't say I guess. The NFL doesn't have to go down that road because they're, they're an over-the-air network play. And um, and they've made it very easy for their fans, generally speaking, to watch. It's very I, again. I it is I I empathize with baseball fans across the United States. It is so frustrating to be a baseball fan when it comes to consumption. No, I totally agree. And I wonder, like, at, can we fast forward 10, 20 years? Like, how many people are we losing because of this? Right. Uh, you know, people are upset when these games are on Apple. People are upset when they don't get to see their home announcers. You know, I, I yes. you know, we're kind of. You know, I understand when you get to the playoffs, it becomes, you know, a national network. It becomes the national broadcasters. But we're talking about regular season games here. You know, people just want to watch their team in an easy way. And again, I think there has to be a way that MLB can come up with that you can just buy one program and that's it for the at-bat. Yep. Like if MLB is going to take control over a lot of these RSNs, there has to be a way to do that. But unfortunately, as you said, when you sell your soul to these Apples and these Amazons and these YouTubes, uh, you create this situation where people are like, well, I don't want to download this app. I don't want to pay for this. I'm just not going to watch the game. So that's just a dangerous place to be in. I think when it's continually happening, it's not one game a year 
for fans of these teams. You know, we're talking about sometimes double digits if it's a, a good team like the Yankees that are on different networks. All right, so here's the last one I want to get to you. This, by the way, is my favorite topic because I'm just fascinated by this. And uh, I got one of the experts in the country on it, so I'm psyched to talk to you about this. Uh, I'm correct that uh, that Otani's free agency would come up at the end of this year? Do I have yes. my – I'm right about that. Okay, all right. So there can only be a handful of teams that can even possibly like be in the argument or the conversation where they can pay this guy. And I don't even think you can pay him – honest value, like given what his real worth is. Like, I just, I don't think he can be compensated. Honestly, that said, you know, he'll be compensated. And there's only a group of teams that like can do that. If I was to ask you to design what franchise would be the best possible fit for him in terms of growing the game, where would you put him? Great question. So I think there's only four teams we're talking about as potential landing spots. Anyway, the Mets, the um, Padres, the Giants, the Yankees, um, probably the most apt. I think if you're talking about growing the game, you want them in New York because of the spotlight, because, you know, of the fact that, you know, it is a, a global game. And certainly New York is a huge city that's got a lot of diversity. So I think that works. I mean, San Francisco, to me, um, should be bigger, but they just haven't been able to spend that money. They have a blank check. They missed out on Aaron Judge. Could they be the highest bidder? Yes. Uh, but to me, putting them in the Mets probably makes him a global superstar. The Yankees as well, but keep in mind, the Yankees have so many other guys they're paying. John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge, Garrett Cole, the three names that really jump out. Can they spend $500 million? Or not even can they, because they were valued today over $7 billion by Forbes. So they can, but do they want to? I think we're looking at the New York Mets, Richard, which is going to still help elevate him to another level. The sponsorships, you know, just being on the East Coast. It's interesting how many people said to me, I've never seen Shohei Otani pitch before the other night in Miami because he's buried in Anaheim along with Mike Trout. Many people do not stay up for those games. And certainly many people aren't like, let's tune into the Angels who haven't been good in decades. Do you do, now? I know you didn't mention the Dodgers there. Is there was there some a reason why they would not be part of um, a potential fit for you? Because to me, the the Dodgers would would be great. But if you look at what they've done over the years, they haven't signed. I think what Otani's looking for is like a ten year deal, like five hundred million right. is maybe the floor. The Dodgers haven't really done that. They've been kings of like the shorter deals with a lot of money, right? The higher average annual value, the two year, the three years you know, paying guys much more money for a shorter deal under Andrew Friedman. So could they get involved? Could they decide, hey, Otani's worth worth it. We're going to kind of go away from what we've done. Absolutely. Do they have the money? Absolutely. But it would be a little bit of a philosophical shift from what they've done uh, in recent years in regards to free agents. Now, again, I don't know. I don't know enough about Otani to know how he feels about this. You might I guarantee some of our athletic reporters who have talked to him many times do. Has he expressed publicly or even privately uh, his interest in playing West Coast versus East Coast? He hasn't, but I, he has made it pretty clear that he wants to win. So I think you're, you know, you're looking for teams that, you know, all the teams that I mentioned are are right there in it. So I think he, especially after playing in Anaheim, especially after playing and winning the WBC, he called it the greatest moment of his life. Um, I think a team that wins is going to matter to him more than East Coast, West Coast. So I haven't seen really anything on 
on what he prefers. But it's just crazy, Richard, that we're talking about $500 million as the floor for this guy. Honestly, like Steve Cohen has approached the Mets essentially like a massive vanity project. And I guess you can do that when you have that kind of money. This to me would be the ultimate smart purchase for him outside of like the vanity play because you just hit on it. Like uh, I lived in New York for 20 years. I think you, you, are you still in Baltimore? Like that was your city, right? So you're like an East coast person as well. Yeah. I'm in between Baltimore and DC. So yep. Okay. All right. Both. So both of us know this. You're close enough to have been to New York a number of times, a multicultural star of that magnitude in that city is mind blowing in terms of the amount of interest like he will generate on a nightly basis. As crazy as this sounds, I actually think Steve Cohen might be able to make up that money or monetize that in a way where he won't like um he won't lose a ton of money which normally would happen at like, you know, the $500 million level. So to me, like that just fits, but I don't know how Otani feels about playing in New York. Um you know, I don't know enough about his family, et cetera, of like, you know, where he ultimately wants to land. But like that to me feels like a modern day Babe Ruth kind of play. Oh, absolutely. And you're right. I think there is a way where you can kind of make back a good chunk of that money because this guy is must see TV. Not only does he pitch every five days, but he's in the lineup more often than not. So, you know, this is a this is an unbelievable thing. This is something that we will tell our kids and our grandkids someday that we got to watch this guy in his prime. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see another player of this caliber. We may see other guys try, but I, I just don't know if we're ever going to see a guy who happens to be the best pitcher and the best hitter in baseball. Never. Yeah. Again, like I know uh, as someone who lived in New York and is from New York, you sort of can get accused of, of East Coast or big city bias. I get all that. But I just think it would be significantly, man, it, the the amount of impact this guy could have in a New York, Chicago, or uh, like – Boston, Philly, like East Coast, crazy baseball market um, would just be incredible. And particularly in New York, just given um, just given the demos there, like uh, not that I want to root for Steve Cohen, which is really, quite frankly, hard to do. But like rooting for billionaires is not something I enjoy, but I actually may be rooting for him on this one. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I do root for the teams that actually try and spend money because it is unfortunate <laughs> um, that you can kind of be a mediocre team pocket this revenue sharing money that MLB has and still emerge with a profit. So um, teams that spend money, I generally hope win. the Padres are another one. Um, I think teams that, that commit to spending on a team on the field should be rewarded. Yeah. I mean, selfishly, I'd love to see a uh, Shohei in Toronto, but uh, I'm a realist. I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, Rich Roley is a senior writer covering Major League Baseball for The Athletic. Her latest piece is the World Baseball Classic was a success in 2023. What will make it better in 2026? Check that out on The Athletic right now. She was at the uh, semifinals and finals. Uh, just an absolutely awesome experience, I am sure, that uh, was. As someone who loves the Olympics and covered many of them, watching uh, watching that final game um, literally felt like watching like an Olympic final somewhere. It was so cool. Uh, Britt, thanks for uh, coming on the Sports Media Podcast today. Uh, continued success, and uh, we'll be reading you during the baseball season. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. All right. Back in the studio, my thanks to Joe Davis and Britt Giroli for their time and insight. 
Uh, if you like these kind of conversations, and we're just coming off uh, Kevin Harlan, who uh, was really, really forthright about uh, being embarrassed about the video that went viral of him calling Furman's upset over Virginia and uh, Jeff Perlman. They were in the last episode. But if you like these kind of conversations, leave us a five-star review and, uh, and a note on why you like it. That's how this podcast continues. Before Harlan and Perlman, we had a uh, chat about the Aaron Rodgers' impact on NFL viewership heading to the Jets. That was with Chad Finn of the Boston Globe. Prior to that, WWE star Rhea Ripley on the Nexus of Wrestling and Media, Matt Norlandar, and what it's like to cover the NCAA tournament. And then if you're a Formula One fan, have Luke Smith and Madeline Coleman on from The Athletic to talk about what it's like covering that sport. Head to the archives. There should be some stuff that you like there. I want to thank Patrick Antonet for all his hard work. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon on the Sports Media Podcast.